I want to start in verse 8. We're going to read the brief section about the angels. Um, and then uh, we'll, we'll go from there. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. In the record of Christ's birth on earth, it's recorded in Matthew and in Luke. It's prophesied in Isaiah and the book of Micah. And uh, in spite of those prophecies, uh, the birth of Christ was known only a small handful of people were aware of it. So let's uh, just think for a moment, who are the characters, the individuals that were aware of the birth of Jesus Christ? Shepherds, Mary, that's right, Mary, Elizabeth, Joseph, Zacharias, the Magi, Herod, um, Anna, yeah, Anna, Simon, uh, there's two that have been left out, Abraham, and the Holy Spirit. So these are the ones that were involved in the birth narratives. Abraham is kind of an interesting one. Oh, no, no, wait a minute, there's another one still, John the Baptist, okay. Or maybe that one was said. In John chapter 8, verse 56, the Lord, in speaking with the Pharisees, made this statement. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And so Abraham, from 2,000 years earlier, saw the birth of Christ, the day of Christ's arrival. John the Baptist. John the Baptist, while still in his mother's womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit and leapt for joy in the womb at the entrance of Mary into the room where Elizabeth was, still carrying John. Joseph was made aware through the angel Gabriel, who's another party. Mary was made aware through that same angel. Uh, the Magi were made aware 
through the star and the prophecy of Balaam. And um, Elizabeth and Zacharias were made aware through an angel as well. And then we have the angels that we read about here. And so I thought we, one of the songs that Dean led us in this week was uh, Angels We Have Heard on High. And when you go through the Christmas hymns and songs that have been sung over the years, uh, quite a few of them mention the ministry of the angels in the birth of Christ. So I want to take a little bit of time just this morning and talk about that. The activity of angels in the Bible um, is especially prevalent during two periods in the life of Christ on earth, at his birth and at his resurrection. There's a, a third time period in which angels, not yet, but will be very active, and that's in the book of Revelation. The angelic activity, especially prevalent during the birth of Christ and during the resurrection of Christ, um, uh, is kind of a rare thing. You don't really read a lot about angels appearing a lot in the Bible. I mean, it seems like a lot, but the appearance of angels is often separated by hundreds of years, even though it might be separated by two pages in our Bibles. And so these are relatively rare occurrences. Um, angels, the meaning of the word angel is primarily a messenger. And um, what we see happening, now not all angels are messengers, but um, the angels that we're going to talk about this morning were. Angels are, what are angels? Tell me the, the nature of an angel. And I don't mean your spouse, Bible angels. Spiritual being, what does that mean? Okay, spiritual beings. What's a being? That's simply a person who exists, okay? Spiritual beings are beings, persons who exist, but in a spiritual form. Angels are spirits. Demons are spirits. God is spirit. Spiritual realm invisible to us because we are typically only aware of material forms unless the Lord gives us uh, a vision or something like that. So the other thing about these angels, as we all know, there's actually two, two parties. There's, two, party, there's two, two parties of angels, not two party angels, two parties of angels, okay? There's the angels that are called the elect, uh, refers, uh, uh, see the passage that refers to those as the elect angels is 1 Timothy 5.21. And then we have another category called evil angels, or um, evil spirits, or unclean spirits. Those are sometimes referred to as demons. They're both categories are angels. You can't see them, but they're real. They're persons. They have personalities. And uh, 
the two, cla- the, the, the two angel parties, groups, categories, each have a ruler. Satan has his angels, and Michael has his angels. And Michael, who is the archangel, or the ruling angel, rules over those angels on behalf of God. And then Satan rules over his angels. The ministry of angels is um, um, God at times allows them to appear in visible form. For example, the angels here in Luke 2 were seen by the shepherds. Gabriel appeared to Mary and to Joseph. The angels at the tomb of Jesus announcing his resurrection at first appeared, or they're described, as two young men in gleaming white garments. So sometimes God allows the angels to be displayed in a form in which they can be seen and recognized. Other times, God allows angels to appear in a form that is visible to us, but not recognized by us as being angels. In Hebrews 13.2, it says, Be aware to entertain angels. Be careful to entertain strangers, for in so doing, some have entertained angels without being aware of it. And so, angels can appear in human form, and to us they appear as just another human individual, but in reality, they could be angels. And so God gives them that ability to do that. Satan's angels don't appear to have that ability. Satan's angels appear to require inhabiting the body of a person in order to be recognized or identified. And so when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, much of his ministry had to do with casting out demons from the bodies of individuals. And so God's angels don't appear to inhabit human bodies, but they can have the ability to appear as humans. Satan's angels, from what we can gather from the Bible, um, don't have that ability to simply appear as a human being, but they can inhabit the bodies of people. And that's what we see in the Gospels. The ministry of God's angels really are in a number of areas. God's angels are for our protection. It says in Psalm 34, 8, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Uh, We read about angels in the Bible, well, even in the birth stories, who warned Mary and Joseph to go down to Egypt so that the child Jesus not be killed by King Herod. And so God's angels at times are used by God to protect us. And we don't see it, 
and a lot of times we're simply not aware of it, but our protection by God comes through the intermediary of angels on many occasions. Angels are used by God in the judgment of men. One angel in 2 Kings chapter, I think it's 19, when King Hezekiah was the king, one angel killed 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrian army. It was a destroying angel in the book of Exodus that went through the land of Egypt and took the life of every firstborn child in the land of Egypt as uh, the Lord led his people out of Israel. The book of Revelation is filled with illustrations and descriptions of the judgment of God coming upon the earth and it's mediated by angels. And so um, the book of the Bible that's going to speak most about angels is going to be the book of Revelation. And the ministry of those angels almost exclusively is for the judgment of God being poured out upon the earth. Then there's another ministry of angels that we see in the Bible and that's they stand before the Lord and they offer up praise and worship to him. We see that in Revelation 4, we see it in Revelation 5, we see it in Isaiah 6, um, where the seraphs stand before the, the, the throne of the Lord in Isaiah 6, and day and night they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. All the earth is filled with his glory. And so uh, the angels that we're going to look at this morning are in one of these categories, um, and we'll talk about that. The other thing is um, there are different classes of angels. There's cherubs, there's seraphs, and then there's some that are simply called living creatures. Cherubs appear to be the angel category or the class that is perhaps closest to the presence of God. Uh, the cherubs are first seen in the Garden of Eden when man sinned and God drove Adam and Eve out of the garden and he placed cherubs at the entrance to the garden with a flaming sword which turned every direction to keep man from entering back in and having access to the tree of life. We see cherubs in the book of Ezekiel, and they're actually described for us how they appeared to Ezekiel. And they've got four wings, and they've got four faces, and each face faces in the direction of one of the four points of the compass. And they have wheels, and the wheels have eyes, and they, they move wherever the wheels take them. And it's just kind of a, a pretty bizarre description. But those are the cherubim. Those are the cherubs that are seen when the glory of the Lord ascends and uh, removes itself from the temple of God before it's destroyed by the Babylonians. The cherubs are the one upon whom God on his throne rides, as they're described in the book of Psalms. Um, the cherubs are under 
the, the throne of God, if you will. And then there's seraphs, and the seraphs are only seen in Isaiah 6, and they have six wings, and uh, they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then we have the four living creatures in Ezekiel 1 and also in Revelation 4 and 5, and they've got four wings, and they're kind of a cross between the other two. So I, I don't know, I'm just, that's what they look like when they actually are given a description here. There's only three angels. Well, there are three angels named in the Bible. Lucifer, who is Satan. Michael, who is the archangel. And Gabriel, who is the one who appeared to Mary and to Joseph. Um, there's another group of demons that referred to themselves as legion, because they were many, and Jesus drove them out. He cast them out of a man, and they ended up, they asked permission to be, to go into a herd of pigs. Remember that story? It's, you know, I don't know why, I don't know what it is. Anyway, the pigs didn't like it. They all rushed in this sea and were drowned. And um, I don't think demons like water, but I'm not sure. Um, and... Uh, um, and then there's a, another angel in the book of Revelation who's called the destroyer, Apollyon, I think is the Greek word for it, and that's how it's transliterated. So the ministry of angels in the realm of the world is, uh, they're quite active. We're just not aware of it in most cases. This morning, when we look at um, and let's go to Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel appears to Zacharias. What the angel Gabriel is going to do in the birth accounts here is he's going to explain to Mary and to Joseph what's happening to them. The angels at the tomb of Christ after the resurrection of Christ are there to explain to the disciples who come to the tomb why the tomb is empty. The angels that we're going to look at in the birth narratives, again, are basically there to announce and to explain what's happening. So let's look at uh, Gabriel's account in Luke chapter 1, verse 11. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Now this is, uh, this is starting with Zacharias here. The angel of the Lord appeared to him. And Zacharias is the father of John the Baptist. Okay. Um, uh, standing at the right hand of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not fear, Zacharias. Your petition has been heard. For your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you'll give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, 
to the disobedient, to the attitude of the righteous, so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Gabriel comes to Zacharias. He announces that your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. You're supposed to name him John, and this is what his ministry is going to be. And so he's there to announce. He prophesies the ministry of John and the purpose of John's ministry. But Zacharias' response in verse 18, Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am old, and my wife is advanced in years. Now, is that a logical question? It is, isn't it? I mean, how can that be? Well, the Lord had just announced it through Gabriel. The angel announced it. Zacharias didn't believe it. And so the Lord took Zacharias's speech away. He said, you will be mute until the day that the things take place that I told you would happen because you didn't believe. So his failure to believe the angel was essentially a failure to believe the Lord. The angel Gabriel in Luke 1, starting in verse 26, is now going to appear to Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man. His name was Joseph. Of the descendants of David, the virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this would be, this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. You'll conceive in your womb. You'll bear a son. You'll name him Jesus. He'll be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the holy child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, be it done according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So here again, the angel comes. He announces to Mary what's going to happen. She wants to know, how's that going to happen? He explains it, and Mary believes it. The next appearance of the angel is to Joseph, and that is in Matthew chapter 1. So let's go back there. Matthew chapter 1, where Joseph is given the birth announcement of Christ. Joseph. Verse 18, Luke, I'm sorry, Matthew 1.18, Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
She will bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin you will be with child, bear a son. You'll name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Joseph awoke from his dream, from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took Mary as his wife, kept her a virgin till she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So again, the angel comes. He explains to Joseph how it is that Mary is pregnant. He knows she's pregnant. What doesn't he know? That the angel kind of had to tell him. Pardon? Who the father is, yeah. yeah. How she became pregnant. And the angel explained it, and he accepted it. He did just as the angel asked. He married her. He kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. In Luke 2, we read about the angels uh, and a choir of angels that appeared to announce the birth of a Savior. That angel told the shepherds what the sign would be, and uh, the shepherds responded in praise to God when they heard the message. The angels appear again in Matthew 2 where they warn Joseph to flee from Herod by going down to Egypt. And after Herod died, they uh, uh, told Joseph that he could now return back to Judea. And they came back and went to Nazareth rather than Judea because of the threat of Herod's son. So the ministry of angels and especially Gabriel in the birth narratives, they are there to explain how these miraculous events could even happen. Gabriel is described in Luke 1.19 in kind of a unique way. He says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. When God sent an angel to bring this message, he appears to have sent one of his closest probably most powerful angels, to bring this most important message with its explanation to the people who were going to be involved. It says about Gabriel that he was sent from heaven. That's where God's angels are. When we read the book of Job, all angels... All angels are subject to the Lord, both the good angels and the bad angels. In the book of Job, we read that there came a day when the sons of God, which is an Old Testament reference to angels, came to appear before the Lord, and Satan came among them. And so even Satan has to appear before the Lord and give an account of his activities. Gabriel, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to bring you good news. What else do we know about Gabriel? Did I, do, did I give you everything that there is? Anything else we might know about Gabriel? Gabriel appears in one other book of the Bible. It's the book of Daniel. 
Gabriel is the angel that God sends to Daniel to explain the visions that Daniel has received regarding future events. It's in Daniel 8, Daniel 9, Daniel 10. In Daniel 9, the Lord or, uh, Gabriel says to Daniel, I have been sent to give instruction and understanding. And in verse 10, he says, I have come to give you understanding of the visions. Gabriel's specific ministry is in the realm of announcing messages from the Lord and explaining what they mean to the recipients of those messages. Why is that necessary? Gabriel did, or excuse me, remember Zacharias when the angel made the announcement about his wife having a son? It says he didn't understand it and he didn't believe it. When Joseph first discovered Mary was pregnant, it says he pondered it. And then Mary, it says, greatly wondered at the things the angel said. And the angel appeared for the purpose of explaining the message that God brought and how it was all going to work itself out. God used the ministry of angels to give understanding to the birth of Christ, and he used the ministry of angels to give understanding about the resurrection. If you remember when Jesus rose from the dead, his own disciples didn't expect that. They didn't believe it. It's the angels that told them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? And so as we go through the Bible and we see the ministry of angels, especially in the life of Jesus, they are especially used during his birth, at his resurrection, even at his ascension, where the disciples are standing there around Jesus and all of a sudden they see him ascending into heaven, into the clouds of heaven. And they're just there looking up, it says. And then an angel says to them, why do you keep looking up into the heavens? This Jesus who's gone before you will come back in the same manner just as you see him go. And so God supplied those angels to not only give the announcement, but also to explain what he was doing in the ministry of Christ. Now, I want to bring it to where we are right now. You don't see angels ministering a great deal after the ascension of Christ and before the book of Revelation. And there's a reason for that. Because after the ascension of Christ, God sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has now come. Not in the form of an angel, but the Holy Spirit has now come. And he dwells in the body of each one of the saints. It is our privilege and responsibility to take upon ourselves what we see the ministry of these angels doing in the ministry of Christ. When we look at the Christmas season today, 
do people really know, are not people outside the church, do they really know what it's all about? Do they really understand why the holiday is even being celebrated nowadays? What do you think? Do they? Do your friends understand what Christmas is all about? Or, I don't know about your friends. Christmas has become a... Ho- no, okay. It's in, the, in the interest of full disclosure, Christmas was never a holiday that was commanded to be celebrated in the Bible, nor does it appear that it ever was celebrated by the early church. So... If you choose not to celebrate Christmas, that's fine. If you choose to celebrate Christmas, why? Why do Christians celebrate the Christmas holiday? Okay, okay. Did, well, did anybody celebrate the birth of Christ? Anybody? The shepherds did. Mary rejoiced. Zacharias rejoiced. John the Baptist leapt for joy. There was, cel- there was celebration at the birth of Christ. But the holiday that we celebrate was originally... Um, a time, it was originally a pagan holiday that the Christians sanctified and made their own. And it has continued to be that, only now it's been, we've come full circle. Now the holy day that Christians celebrate is now being secularized and, and so we've kind of gone back to the same thing. Okay, okay, yes. Here's the, here, here's the thing about Christmas, the Christmas holiday. It's, it's been covered over. The real meaning has been covered over. And, you know, a few years ago, you know, you had the Xmas. Well, I mean, really behind that is the X was an abbreviation, the letter, for the word Christ, and so, you know, that could be uh, a reasonable, but as we come into this year's holiday, there's very little attention given to Christ in the world, okay, outside the church. It's a lot of gifts, Santa Claus, St. Nicholas is now the giver of gifts, um, 
we've had traditions that are not really a part of the history of the Bible. Um, but the Christmas season is a time when there's a real opportunity to proclaim the message that the angels proclaimed. We are the, now, we, we, are, we are like the Christmas angels. If you turn to 2 Corinthians 5.20, 2 Corinthians 5.20, the Christmas season is just an opportunity to do what the angels did, which is this, explain to people why is it that we celebrate the birth of Christ. Why do we do that? And the reason is, like the shepherds were told, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. We're celebrating the birth of a Savior. He's doing just fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice to hear a baby crying rather than some of the adults here. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're, you're a great group, really. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's our message. The thing about any of the holidays that we celebrate, be they Christmas, be they Easter, or not at all, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to explain to our children, to explain to our family, our friends, really, that the reason Christians celebrate on this holiday is because of the birth of a Savior. A Savior who came to save men from sin. And so the angels are no longer making the announcements. We, under the ministry of the Holy Spirit, now are called to proclaim not only the birth, but the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. And the Christmas season is just another opportunity when people are kind of thinking about, they might know about the birth of Jesus, Hopefully they do, but we're finding a lot of kids like, uh, that, that come into release time uh, and they don't have any background. Um, they haven't heard some of these stories we just take for granted. And that's the way the world's becoming. So I just, I just want to use the angels as an illustration, I think, of how we now can be the ones to explain why the birth of Christ is celebrated by Christians. This is our opportunity. We are ambassadors for Christ, appealing to people that they be reconciled to God on behalf of Christ. Amen? It's the greatest gift we could give someone. All right, let's pray. Father God, um, There are opportune times that you bring into our lives when 
the Spirit prompts us to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Lord, for many of us, Christmas is one of those times. I would pray, Father, that during the celebration of this season, that we would not lose sight of the opportunity that we have to talk about Jesus Christ. Lord, the holiday seasons are difficult seasons for many. The loss of loved ones, the fracturing of the family. Lord, um, there's a lot of grief that also happens at this holiday that's supposed to be expressed by joy. But Lord, these are opportunities. It's really all about, it's really all about Jesus. Father, even if we are among the families for whom this is going to be a difficult season, Lord, would you remind us that our joy is not in the gifts that are surrounding us. Father, our joy ultimately doesn't come from being around family and loved ones. Our ultimate joy is in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to earth on that Christmas Day, whenever it was, but who fulfilled the purposes of God by dying on the cross, paying for our sins, rising from the dead, and then ascending to the right hand of the Father on high, where he at this very present moment intercedes for each one of us based on his blood and the power of his name. so that it can be fulfilled what Jesus said. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, that knowledge gives us great joy and great delight. Let that be the source of our joy, not just this season, but every day of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.